I'm Chuck Norris, and I approve this game. Between the time when gamers played with miniatures and chainmail, and the rise of the Wizards of the Coast, there was an age of advanced role-playing undreamed of. And onto the Skygats, destined to bear the jeweled crown of TSR upon a troubled brow. It was given to teach us all how to roll for initiative. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, let's get ready to rumble! Okay, hi. This is Chad, and I am at Game Hole Convention here in Madison, Wisconsin. And with me today is Alex Kramer. He is the person who's put the whole thing together, and he's going to tell us a little bit about the convention and a little bit about what he likes to do when it comes to gaming. Uh, hey, Alex, how are you? I'm great. I'm great. Uh, Sunday morning of a con, so a little tired, but doing really well. Well, how the how's the convention going? I mean, how now that it's uh, on day Sunday? Well, I think I can answer that by a question. How, did you have a good time? I had a great time. Well, that's and that's really the the uh, benchmark for us. It's gone smashingly well. We have uh, we took some time and put together a, a detailed comment card, and uh, we baited people to fill it out by tempting them with a free pass for next year. So we've gotten uh, a tremendous uh, array of data from a lot of people, and it's been overwhelmingly positive. And the spoken comments have been great, and our special guests have been thrilled. So uh, it has really uh, gone off as, as well as something this complicated could have gone off. Well, you know, and I want to get into the uh, convention here in just a moment, but why don't we just start off by talking a little bit about who is Alex Kramer? How did he get into gaming? What is he like? You bet, you bet. Um, well, I am uh, a guy in my mid-40s, uh, so Dungeons & Dragons, just like so many of your listeners, was my portal, my gateway drug to gaming. Uh, <laughs> so I, uh, I was, uh, can sit here and I can remember so clearly the uh, library in my uh, middle school uh, and my friend who asked me to play Dungeons and Dragons, which I'd never heard of, and he had the red box, and I remember his opening it and looking at the oddly shaped dice and his explaining it to me, in retrospect, not exactly accurately, uh, but we played, and it was fun, and uh, that changed, quite frankly, the trajectory of so many of my interests. Uh, started reading fantasy literature, uh, you know, science fiction literature, and spun from there, and uh, I've played some sort of role-playing game since then, you know, always. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because when I talk to a lot of gamers, one of the things that does come up a lot of the time is that when they started playing uh, role-playing games, particularly Dungeons & Dragons, is that it did really spark an interest in reading at that time. Mm -hmm. I know I became uh, just a bookworm after I started playing Dungeons & Dragons, and I think that really helped a lot. And, and, and like you said, you know, I think it's really guided a lot of my interests later on in life. But let me ask you this. Uh, when you were gaming, uh, you know, as you got into gaming, what were some of the games that you most enjoyed playing? Yeah, the, the, the things I most enjoyed playing were the longer campaigns with real stable gaming friends so that we had, you know, uh, a year or two of a campaign that progressed. 
just wonderful memories of those things uh, in those games. Um, uh, mostly first edition D and D, although uh, I had a long I had the f- good fortune to have a long talk with uh, Zeb Cook, one of our guests at our convention here, uh, about second edition, which is quite frankly my favorite edition. Uh, there are a few things that are not great about it, but it's it was it, was, it took a lot of the problems that we had with first edition and, and sort of cleaned them up, and that was probably the best campaign we ever had. That was uh, that expanded. Gosh, that covered probably four years. And we played, I think, just about every Forgotten Realms product that there's out there. And we just we played the hell out of that stuff. And, uh, yeah, so that was that was great fun for us. Well, I know, uh, actually, that, that's, uh, yeah, I could tell that you guys have played a lot of the different products because, uh, well, you were kind enough to show me your uh, your, your Sanctum, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. the game room. Yep, yep. And I noticed you had almost everything in there. Yeah, yeah. So uh, this, we're sitting at GameholeCon, and that is kind of a strange name, and I'm sure the listeners are wondering, how would you come up with a name like that? Well, the game hole is actually a place that's our game room, uh, and it's called uh, the game hole because it started in my basement. So it was subterranean, and we're all Hobbit fans, and so, you know, the, as I'm sure uh, most of you will recall how the Hobbit starts describing a Hobbit hole, and uh, that's how uh, we came up with that name. And that's been that it's been so named for the last fifteen years. Uh, so since then, uh, I have uh, <clears throat> gotten into uh, some different business things, and I am now a uh, I have a, uh, an interest in a uh, pub. And uh, as part of that, it's an old building, and I was able to convince my partners that uh, some upstairs a suite of rooms should be mine to convert into a a, a game room, and uh, I did, and spent some money and uh, built the essentially the. The treehouse I always wanted, the dream room that when I was 12, thinking, gosh, if I could someday have a, a game room, um, and that, that's what we have. So uh, I appreciate the compliment. Well, and, it's uh, a great game room. Uh, I noticed you had uh, one of the, was that a Geek Chic table? Yeah, it's very similar to that. It's actually Monty Cook's table. Monty Cook, the uh, architect of 3.5 and Numenera and lots of other things, he lived in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and he designed this table, had it built. And then he moved to, I think, first Seattle. Maybe it was L.A. first. But anyway, he couldn't move this thing. It's massive. Big table. But uh, for those of you out there who have gone to conventions and seen the Geek Chic tables, or at least maybe one, someone's lucky enough to own one, uh, Monty takes credit, he, in his, at least in his own mind, for giving them the idea of how to do their tables. So it's very much like a Geek Chic table. It's got uh, pull-out platforms. Um, it has uh, uh, little pull-out shelves that hide underneath the table. There are rolling uh, bookshelves that go underneath the table. Uh, it basically looks like a craps table, uh, but instead of felt, obviously, it's uh, squares, magnetic it's grids. squares. Yeah, grids. What else for yeah. a gamer? Yep, yep, exactly. Oh, that's awesome. So now the game room itself then in, in part inspired the name of the convention. It did, exactly. So that's when we were uh, – uh, when we were – Coming to the point of deciding we want to do a convention, there could only be one name. You know, that was if it was was not going to be named after our game room that we've spent so much time in the last again fifteen years, we weren't going to do it. So that's that's how the game. Well, I'm glad you could get them to agree to that then, because this (laughs) has been a really nice convention, and you know. So tell me a little bit about the, the genesis of the Game Hole Convention. When did, the, when did the idea first hit you guys to do this? Uh, you know, what goes into... I know a lot of people 
are interested sometimes in even putting on their own conventions, and, and they're not really sure the process that goes into it. Can you go into that? Yeah. Uh, let's see. We'll start with the genesis of why. Um, we're sitting in Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, Madison's a great town, uh, college town, uh, local uh, the state government. Uh, I think because of those factors, we have a unique demographic. Uh, we lead the country in per capita game stores. We have a total in Dane County, which is where Madison sits, population right around 300,000 people. Uh, we have eight separate standalone legitimate game stores. We're not talking about a Barnes & Noble with a little section. Eight standalone game stores, uh, which is tremendous. I mean, consider that London has two. You know, oh, it's yeah. Just, it's, it's amazing. So what's weird about that, though, so you'd think, okay, well, you have all these, obviously a lot of gamers, you have these game stores that are all profitable, but no convention, no real convention. Uh, we have some conventions here, but they are, uh, and there's some gaming at them, but that, they're not focused on tabletop gaming. And we, the members of the game hall, are all about tabletop gaming. We do a lot of role-playing games. But we also play board games. Uh, so it was an obvious gap. And uh, I think for years, part of it is because Gen Con used to be in Milwaukee. And since that was such a great convention, there was no real need to have a convention here in Madison. Well, uh, as everyone knows, Gen Con left Milwaukee and headed to Indianapolis, and nothing has happened really in south-central Wisconsin since then. Uh, other than Gary Con, Gary Con started five years ago, and that's in the Lake Geneva area, which is about, um, yeah, about an hour and a half from here. Uh, so that's how we started talking about it. I said, why, why don't we have a tabletop gaming convention here? And then we thought, well, uh, here we are. We have eight members of the game hall. We all come from, we're all professionals in different fields. Uh, some of us have actually been associated with other conventions assisting. Uh, and we started putting together sort of a list. What would it take to put together a convention? Uh, and then we were just kind of, it was more actually just joking about it at first. We thought, eh, wouldn't it be fun to do that? And then I guess I decided, uh, you know what, let's stop screwing around. Let's actually make some effort. Let's, let's, let's explore what it takes to, to, uh, to run a convention. And so um, what we started with doing was listening to people who had already done so. Uh, one person I'd like to thank specifically is uh, Harold Johnson. Mm -hmm. um, Harold, if some of you uh, probably recognize the name, he authored one of the Slaver series modules. He, I think he authored C2. Mm -hmm. He's an old TSR employee. He's the guy who actually was um, uh, hired Frank Mensner. I mean, he's a longtime TSR guy, and he ran uh, uh, Gen Con for, gosh, I think five years. He was the guy who really mm -hmm. put it all together. Harold's a wonderful guy, and uh, he's willing to share. And so I had lunch with him a couple times, and uh, he laid it out for me what, what he thought were the, mm -hmm. the key components. Uh, what do you think some of those key components are? Well, you know, really, it's, 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 uh, it, there's nothing really shocking about it. Uh, it's uh, just like any other business. You know, it, you have to, first of all, figure out what it is you want to accomplish, whatever that good or product is. Here, we wanted to have an excellent tabletop gaming experience so that the, the GMs, players, and special guests all walked away saying, that was really fun. That was great. So, okay, how do we get to that? Well, we've all attended cons, and we know what we like and we don't like. Uh, good space, uh, uh, ability to get, get to get into games, first of all, ability to get to our games easily. Uh, a variety of games. So what we did is uh, first is finding a facility. Mm -hmm. 
It's the biggest failing of restaurants, for example. What they do, someone is, has an idea of a type of food they want to put on, but they don't think about the place that they want to put it. So what happens, they have an idea of a great menu, and they try to force it on a location that doesn't work, and they mm -hmm. invariably go out of business. you got to do the reverse. you got to find a location first. So that's what we did. Spent a lot of time talking to area hotels, um, a lot of meetings, and finally we uh, landed at the Sheridan, Madison Sheridan, uh, which was afforded us some great opportunities because, uh, as Chad, you can attest to, it is uh, not a huge hall, one big hall. Most hotels are set up to run weddings. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So they have a, a big hall that's maybe divisible with some partitions. Here they have uh, hallways with, they call them breakout rooms. Uh, they're meeting rooms uh, of various sizes. So we took all of those, and they vary from uh, the smallest one will take uh, probably three uh, 72-inch round tables, so that'll seat eight players, up to a room that will take uh, about 15. So we had all, you know, probably four or five of each of these kind of rooms, and we were able to break out then. We, we envisioned it, okay, we can do a, a, a Magic the Gathering room, we can do a board game room, we can do a Pathfinder Society room, we can do a general RPG room, we can do a games library, and it's not, then there's no, one of the, my biggest complaints, as much as I love Gen Con, is the the din, the noise. It's very difficult mm -hmm. to actually play there. Very loud. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I'm, you have to be right next to the GM and hope that you can hear. And that's, you know, it's still fun and it's a great time. But, uh, you know, if we had the ability to control that, why not? And we did. Mm -hmm. So that's why this facility worked well. So then we had the facility. Uh, from there, it is, uh, gosh, there are two real big problems, challenges. First, uh, letting people know that you have a convention. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Getting, getting the word, word out. Getting the word out. That's... And there's the only solution for that, uh, well, there are two solutions, I guess. You could, if you have a huge war chest and you can spend a lot of money on traditional advertising, uh, I don't think that's effective because the, the gaming uh, community is very hyper-niched. And you, right. you, so going through traditional media, you're, you know, 95% ineffective. Uh, so you're spending a lot of money and not getting, not targeting your audience. So for us... It was going to other conventions, going to other local game days, uh, getting uh, other people in the community, uh, game organizers invested in the project. And so our message was uh, we're doing this convention because we love gaming. We are not interested in trying to do this for profit. Mm -hmm. All we want to do is uh, create a, a, a haven uh, and a, a, a celebration of tabletop gaming to support local gaming. So all the, and we have a lot of good local uh, gaming groups, and uh, we asked after talking to those folks, they were excited about it because they want and they wanted to be part of it. So it's and uh, I guess the message was, this is your con. This mm -hmm. is not a bunch of guys who are selfishly putting on some sort of little show as uh, you know. Look what we can do. This is Madison and South Central Wisconsin and the Midwest. And that's what our, our reach was. We're trying to be uh, the upper Midwest leading convention, gaming convention. Uh, come and be part of it. So mm -hmm. people uh, were receptive to that. Oh, yes. yeah. Well, uh, the Dead Game Society actually met you at GaryCon last year. Mm -hmm. And we were very impressed. And we are still very impressed. Uh, we've had, I know we've run a couple of games here and we've really enjoyed it. The uh, setup that you guys have is very conducive to running games. And the crowd is really great. Mm -hmm. Really good gamers here. So I think you've done a really good job with that. Well, I can't, can't thank you enough for that. And the Dead Game Society have been outstanding. The, uh, uh, again, 
sight unseen, you run into two of us at a convention. We have uh, some flyers, and we say we're doing a convention, and you guys come up from out of state and <laughs> willing to take us at our word. And uh, I'm glad that you have that experience and that it was fulfilled because, uh, and that's what it was. You, know, you have to be, you have to be a little bit of a salesman, and mm-hmm. without being a salesman, you're not being smarmy. A little you know, Barnum and Bailey, a little bit, and say, you know, just trust us. This is going to be great. You know, come on. And so the, the the and that's why again, like the Dead Game Society or Madison Traditional Gaming and all these groups that are wonderful. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have the, the uh, Pathfinder Society. Pathfinder here? Society. It's uh, the lifeblood of a con. Of course, it's a gaming. So after you start getting the word out, contemporaneous with that, as that's going along. You have to get people willing to run games. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. Yes. Totally agree. So it's, it's a, you've if, had some other great guests here too. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I, you mentioned Harold Johnson, mm-hmm. uh, who I, I spoke to to quite some length last night. Really enjoyed that conversation. Uh, but you also, I noticed, uh, you know, I saw Frank Mincer here. Mm-hmm. I saw Tom Wham. Mm-hmm. Uh, what goes into getting getting such, uh, you know, well-known figures within the game world? Yeah, that's a good question. And I should probably back up. That was one of the biggest things that we did early on is get a few of those guys enlisted uh, and interested. Uh, Ernie Gygax, uh, Tom Wham, Jim Ward. Frank Mensner, those were the four that we got early on. So when we were talking to folks like the Dead Game Society, mm-hmm. we could say, we've got Tom Wham and Frank Mensner and Jim Ward coming. And so that automatically, okay, these guys are not just full of nonsense. Oh, yeah, They're, that makes us go, wow. Okay, exactly. So we had instant legitimacy by getting those guys. And we have a, quite frankly, an unfair advantage uh, here in, in, in South Central Wisconsin as those guys live here. Mm-hmm. So uh, they are willing to... They, and they're such uh, unbelievable gamers. You know, these are guys who there was no money in gaming when they started. Mm-hmm. Uh, they 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 did it purely because they love gaming, and so they don't care about really a. Uh, they're willing to go to any convention because they can play. All they want to do is play games. It's it's amazing. It's been an amazing experience. You know, to uh, which is so different from. Uh, I think uh, gamers, uh, people who work for gaming companies now, there's a lot of money in gaming, and so people who like gaming, they're still gamers, but not as pure as those guys are. You know, you hear the, what they talk about the in, the in the 70s at TSR, they were not making any money. and uh, But anyway, so that's why they're willing to jump on board with this, because they're all about local gaming. So once they got on board, uh, and it's simply reaching out to them through Facebook, Mm-hmm. That's how we reach these guys. So then, once we had those guys, uh, it was we were able to reach out to Zeb Cook, who's in Baltimore, and Zeb now has been out of tabletop gaming for the last fifteen years. I don't know if you folks know this, but he's been one of the main archetypes behind uh, the Elder Scrolls and uh, the Oblivion games, and so on. Oh, so wow. he's been doing. He's he's transitioned into the video game world. Okay. So uh, he had been uh, out of tabletop gaming completely. In fact, he wasn't even playing. He said, I was talking to him, he said he was sick of it for a little while. He just mm-hmm. he didn't even pick up a tabletop gaming. He got board. kind of burnt out on it. Yeah, yeah. So he, I think he said five or six years he didn't even do anything in it. So he was just focusing on the computer um, computer gaming side of things. And just the last couple of years, he started playing again with, with friends and so on. So, so when I reached out to him, it was a, a total, uh, what the hell, I'll come. Mm-hmm. So, uh, again, because we had a bunch of his old colleagues here, he thought, if nothing else, it'll be sort of a fun reunion. Sure. So he was willing to fly out from Baltimore. That's where he's living now. And then from there, we thought, okay, so we've got, we've got the old guard TSR guys that really make us happy. We're all 
old role players. Mm-hmm. So this is going to mm-hmm. be great for us. But let's think about what our audience would like to, our potential audience would like to see as well. So uh, one of the suggestions was let's reach out to Wizards of the Coast and see if we can get some a new designer for D and D because as I'm sure most of you know, D and D has gone through many changes and they're on the cusp of releasing a new rule set. Another one. Yes, yes. 5E or D&D Next, as it's called. And we thought, wouldn't it be fun to get one of those guys out here to explain, Uh first of all, why 4E and now why 5E and what's that going to look like? So we did. And that was just a, uh, you know, the contact at Wizards. You know, Mm -hmm. is anyone, who can we talk to about this? And they put us in charge, in touch with a marketing person. And uh, they uh, got back to us and said, Chris Perkins, who is known as the... uh, the GM to the stars uh, was willing to come out and uh, uh, be with us here. Uh, he is the lead designer of uh, D&D Next. And uh, I've never met him before. And he's a very impressive individual. Mm-hmm. Extremely bright. Extremely dedicated to D&D and the... Uh, the uh, the, 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 he he, rec- he recognizes and acknowledges how much this means to so much of us, mm-hmm. and he feels the same way. He's a he's a truly he, tr- he sees himself as a trustee of something that's extremely valuable, and he does not want to damage it. So uh, I and I can share that I I I've had some fun talks with him about D and D next. Uh, he can't, he was not able to give us release dates, but he gave us a lot of other details in the rule system. And I know I'm drifting a little bit, but That's all right. It, but it's, very interesting, but, actually. Uh, well, uh, I hope so. The uh, but it sounds great. It's really I'm really well, excited. It's a really insightful idea too to have somebody uh, here who can personally you know address any questions or concerns from the fan base, mm-hmm. you know, in a very educated manner on this on the topic. And and from what you're describing, it sounds like he's a great guy who uh, you know feels like he's been passed the baton and mm-hmm. is going to try to you know carry it well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited. Is that it's it's going to be they're trying to come up with a system that is uh, a unifying. Mm-hmm. Edition. So those of us who like first edition and second edition will be very comfortable in this, and there will still be some of the best things about the more recent editions, but much more streamlined. So I'm excited. So he was a great guest, and I can't thank Chris enough for that's a total leap of faith. He actually wanted he'd never been to Madison, and he wanted to come and see what Madison was like too. So that worked in our favor. Uh, but uh, he ran several tables of play tests, so mm-hmm. some very lucky attendees got to play games with him. And then he gave two panel discussions, where, um, which were very entertaining. Part of the reason was one of our other guests was uh, the personality uh, known as Bill Cavalier, the Dungeon Bastard. Oh, yes. Uh, I met him. Very, yeah. very funny guy. Yep. Those of you who uh, follow his uh, YouTube channel, he every week releases another uh, 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 video clip, and they're really funny. And we think he's a riot. So we reached out to him, and he was willing to do it. He's a... a he loves. He's a, a, a true gamer. Loves tabletop gaming, and he runs his own uh, insurmountable gauntlet of doom, uh, which is just an over-the-top wacky thing that uh, he runs people through. And he was willing to come out and run that for people here, uh, in addition to doing panel discussions. So, the probably the highlight, and I, I know I'm drifting. I'm not really answering your question. For me, though, was you're answering the, my question. The, the, the panel discussion with Chris Perkins, and uh, and. And Tom Lommel, who plays the Dungeon Bastard, Bill Cavalier, was very good friends with Chris. So they sat together, and it was very entertaining how Mm -hmm. Tom would ask 
questions, and Chris would answer them. So as this is this amusing colloquy discussion is going on, Frank Mensner walks in, <laughs> sits down, and raises his hand. And it was just a surreal uh, uh, cross cross hatching of of D and D culture. And they started talking about. Uh, uh, organized play, you know, is is Wizards of the Coast going to do an organized play like the RPGA? Because that's as maybe most of you know that Frank, that was his baby. He in 1981 basically started the RPGA and then wrote all the, the initial materials for it. And so he's he's very uh, vested in mm-hmm. RPGA. That's mm-hmm. a thing that's very important to him, and he wants to see that come back. Anyway, it's fascinating watching this discussion between these three guys, and we got to watch it. So, uh, and so to round out the guests, we had uh, Bill Cavalier. Uh, the final guest that uh, came from uh, far away was Jen Page. Yeah, I went to her reading last night. She did a reading from The Hobbit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very great. Yeah, Jen Page, she's a really great gal. She's, uh, again, a real gamer. You know, she's, uh, she's a celebrity in the gaming world. She's uh, in the series uh, Geek Seekers. Uh, she did the movie Project London. Uh, so she's doing... Uh, Darkness Rising. Darkness Rising. Yep, yeah. yep. That's, thanks for reminding me that one. So anyway, she has a huge fan base. We thought it'd be fun for her to come out here, and uh, she was great enough to, to agree. Uh, so she uh, came out and she ran. And I th- here's the one stipulation that we had with any special guests. You have to be willing to do a panel discussion or at least a, a short talk. Mm-hmm. And you had to run games. That's okay. the way we could justify the expense associated sure. with it. So she had never been asked to do that before. She's always she is a, a very pretty gal, so she usually comes oh, yeah. and poses and does autographs and all that kind of stuff. But she'd never been asked to run a game before, and she loved it. So she uh, ran uh, Call of Cthulhu. Call of Cthulhu. Mm-hmm. She had a couple of Call of Cthulhu games. So when early, uh, early registration opened up, those games sold out in an eye blink. Oh, I, I mean, bet. They, they were gone immediately. I mean, that we were joking about it. That is actually would have been a ticket that had street value. <laughs> I mean, we could have scalped those. It was hilarious how fast they went. And so, uh, and the people who played the games had a great time. So mm-hmm. uh, anyway, we had people who came to our con had the opportunity to play in Jim Ward's games, Bill Cavalier's games, Chris Perkins' games, Jen Page's games. Zeb Cook's games. I mean, it was amazing the array of of, uh, of uh, games that people could play in. Uh, Ernie Gygax's original hobby shop. And they were all so gracious that when tickets started selling out, they said, well, I'll run, do another slot of it. I'll do it again. Mm-hmm. So uh, unlike, gosh, any other con I've been to, a very high percentage of our attendees got to play in what we call a special event game. Sure. If you wanted to, basically you could. If you wanted to play in a Frank Menser game, it was going to happen. Uh, or whatever your, whatever turned you on, and so that's uh, when that's and that's what we wanted. That's what we wanted. We want to have a, the uh, attendees to go away with an experience that they've never had before, and likely ne- never can at any other con. Uh, Gary Con is one of those that you can get do that too, but they sell out so fast, right? And they're those. getting pretty big now, you know. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's one of the best things about going to a a smaller con is that you do get that kind of personal. Feel you feel like you have a better connection, a better meeting with uh, one of the people that you've always wanted to meet, ask mm-hmm. questions to. It's not just you're standing in a line waiting for him to sign something. You're actually seeing them in the hallways. Mm-hmm. You're getting to sit down and roll dice with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you feel like you know their name and they know your name and you're almost on a first name basis with one another. And, and uh, when and they know that coming to a smaller con, that that's the way it's going to be and they they love it. They clearly loved it. They would sp- spend stop in the hall and talk to anyone who wanted to talk to them, give them as much time as needed, 
except for if they had to get to a game they're about to run. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, all our guests were so gracious and uh, so wonderful with our attendees. And uh, it has been reflected in what attendees have been telling us about how great of a time they've had. And uh, so it's been uh, just a tremendous success. We couldn't be happier with how it all how it all, how it's all gone. And from a tenant standpoint, you know. You, uh, a small con that means different things to different people, but here we are in our first year, and we are right around. We're going to be right around 500 attendees, mm-hmm. so uh, which is a great size for us. That's, yeah, and you know when I say small con, actually when I was you know because this is the first year for first for year Hole, and first it year. doesn't feel like a first year for a convention. It feels like. You guys have been doing this for a few years. That was our goal: is to we're not going to have a. a we're, this is going to be our first year, but it's not going to be a first year con. We're gonna. This is going to be a. We're going to skip the small con, uh, learning how to properly do this uh, uh, kind of phase. Uh, so we spent a lot of time thinking our way through problems: how to properly slot games, how to make sure GMs get to where they need to be at the right time, mm-hmm. how to make sure that they get you know tickets are handled properly, badges are handled properly, you know systems. Uh, and here's the one for those of you who are, I would say, foolish enough, but who are ambitious enough to want to run a con. Just don't do it yourself. Mm-hmm. Just please don't think one person can do it. You just simply can't if it's going to be a quality uh, product. It's a it's a it's a, a function of collaboration for a couple reasons. One, there's just so much to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and two, uh, to see problems as a group that you could never do on your own. Just here's an example. We're in a hotel. Uh, it's a typical hotel. Uh, they have two restaurants and a bar. Well, we thought, okay, that's great, uh, and they're happy to have. Of course, they're you know they're going to sell food, and mm-hmm. people are going to stay here. We sold out our hotel block. A week before the convention, one of the guys said, "Are we going to have enough food resources to feed all these people?" And I thought, oh man, that's going to be a real problem because that we're in a hotel. You don't want to have to drive somewhere. You have a game that's going to start in 15 minutes. Uh, you know. That's no good. So we Not did. to mention if you've had a few drinks during the game, if it's I, later at night. Yep, yep. So the solution that one of the guys came up with is why don't we invite some food carts? Uh, and, you know, Gen Con just did that this year. So we, uh, in Madison, we fortunately have a good food cart culture. And I reached out to some folks last week, mm-hmm. and they said, you have hungry gamers? We're interested. And, uh, <laughs> so we had five food carts that parked outside. And again, this is a last-second thing. We've, we've gone through. I mean, we were grinding over how the badges are going to look. Really, because it, it just seems so well-organized. Yeah. It, it's hard to believe that it was a last-minute. That was last-minute. And, and, and it has been one of the most popular features of our con. People have loved all kinds of things. But our comment cards, everyone says, love the food carts. Oh, yeah. I had a barbecue <laughs> be, uh, beef brisket sandwich yesterday. And today... I could go out and have falafels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and that's so that's that worked out outstandingly. So that, again, that's just a blind spot that if you're doing something without a, a, a collaborative effort, and you have, or if you haven't done it before, you that's a, a likely fail, you know. And uh, here we are sitting Sunday morning, and I, when we we're just talking about it, the group of us, we have eight guys who are working on nine actually, nine guys. Uh, we can't think of something that was a, a big, big problem. Uh, we have a list as we're – and another thing we did is we had a, a list in our sort of war room or our staging room that as we something occurs to us that we could do better or change, write it down. So we have a list of minor things, and there's things like you know, more trash cans or whatever, just small things like that. Uh, but nothing big, no no plane crash in the mountain kind of problems. And so that's uh, that was well, That sounds great. Yeah. So where do you see Game Hole in the next, I don't know, three, five years? Yeah, that's a good question. We were talking about that. So here we have around 500 attendees. That's great. Uh, 
We're going to grow next year, undoubtedly. We're going to double our space. We already have a contract. It's going to be November 7, 8, 9 at the Madison Sheridan uh, here in Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, we're doubling our space, taking the second floor, so a big ballroom up there, and we're going to convert that into a very large dealer hall. Uh, because we have a dealer hall down in the first floor, it's a very nice dealer hall, uh, but we can use that space for more gaming then and take that and uh, upstairs and have a, a really just blowout gamer uh, dealer hall. That'll be outstanding. Uh, so that'll that's going to be great, and I'm, undoubtedly we're going to be at you know probably fifty percent more, maybe even double in attendance next year. It's possible. So I could totally see it. Yeah, I, because I think again people have been so positive and so happy uh, that, uh, and our special guests have been on social media the entire time talking about how much they liked it, and so I I just would be surprised if we do nothing but grow and not insignificantly. I think we'll see a big growth next year. The more interesting question is, what do we do in two years or three years? Mm-hmm. Because if it grows a lot more than that, this facility is not going to work. Right. We're going to be at maxed out. I mean, already the parking is a problem. Yeah, I, I actually parked in the hinterlands yeah. of the parking lot. Yeah, and so that's something we have to address for next year. So for 2015, that's going to be a more interesting question. And we have a very nice... Uh, convention center here in Madison. It's right on the lake. It's the Monona Terrace. It's called a Frank Lloyd Wright inspired uh, structure, mm-hmm. uh, and it's it's big and it can do all kinds of things there. It's it's more it's a it's a it's a true convention center. So there are hotels attached to it with skywalks and all that kind of stuff. And that would be the next step. But we're not sure we want to take that step. You know, mm-hmm. that's uh, bigger is not necessarily better as we we're talking about with Gen Con. So when we talked about that, we if we get to the 2,000, 3,000 attendee, that's about where we want to go, I think. Mm-hmm. Because there, uh, there are several reasons for that. We are not doing this in an effort to make money. Right. It's just not our goal. Uh, so, and because of that, we have other jobs where we actually do support sure. our families with. So mm-hmm. it, can't get, it can't be so big to the point where it's really... Taking over your real job. Yeah, we can't do that. And, it, you know, so that, there's that problem. Uh, and so then what we're left with is hiring people, I guess, to mm-hmm. start to be employees of the of the convention. And, you know, I I just don't think we want to do – maybe we will. Maybe we will. Maybe in three years we're going to figure it out and we're going to want to, uh, you know, hire a, a manager type. Um, but uh, – but we're, we, we, we don't have ambitions of being the next Gen Con. Let's put it that right. way. We're just not right. interested in doing that. Uh, we don't want to be a corporate uh, gaming convention. We, wanna, mm-hmm. we want this experience we had this year maybe exactly like this, mm-hmm. that people are, have the same experience, the same feeling, they have the same takeaway, uh, but just so more people can do it. Sure. Uh, and sure. as long as we can do that, and as long as the uh, we have the support of the local gaming groups and the game stores and the and all the local gamers, then we'll keep doing it. Uh, but uh, once it gets to the point where we're, you know, selling uh, major sp- spots of the hotel to different publishers, you know, we're ju- we're just not going to do that because there are people who are. And that's not I'm not ripping on Gen Con. Gen Con's a, a great time. Mm-hmm. It's a wonderful convention. But there is already that that's a thing already. Right. And there are several others around the country that are that. We, so there's no need for it. You know, we're mm-hmm. gonna we want to be a a, a, a a mid to larger con, but not massive. Okay. Well, I think you guys are well on the way. Uh, it's been wonderful, wonderfully planned. I've, I know I, uh, my friends, we have had a great time running games here. We've had a great time playing games here. And I'm excited already about next year. Uh, yeah, we are too. We are too. So, you know, folks who are interested, it is uh, GameholeCon, G-A-M-E-C-O, uh, GameholeHolecon, G-A-M-E-C-O-N. 
uh, com. So any Google search will will find it, uh, and uh, we'll, the site is there. Uh, it'll be updated this week with the new dates, uh, new artwork, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, we're already talking to we do we do things like we commission an artist every year to do a print. Uh, uh, we had Terry Pavlet, who was an old uh, old TSR guy, did a really cool dragon. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I saw that. That's really nice. Yeah, it's a, a dwarf fighting a white dragon in a snowstorm. Uh-huh. It's awesome, awesome print. We're gonna do something like that. That uh, we'll sell twenty five of them. You know, just to yeah, oh, no uh, doubt. So it, we're we're already working on that. Who's is it going to be? Jeff Easley next year, or Jeff D, or someone like that is mm-hmm. going to do our print for next year. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so yeah, we're off and running. And so two thousand fourteen is set, and you know that's going to be it's going to be great. I'm really excited about it. Well, I tell you what, uh, to anybody listening to this, I highly suggest if you can get to Gamehole next year for the convention. It's gamehole.com. Com. I'm sorry. Gameholecon.com. Gameholecon.com. Right. There you go. So check it out and make sure you get your tickets early because this is going to be a, I really think this is going to be a nice rising star in the convention circuit. I appreciate the kind words. Well, thank you very much, Alex. I've really enjoyed talking to you. you. Me too. Me too. Thank you. Podcast is a production of Wild Games Productions in association with d20radio.com. You can visit us at rfipodcast.com or contact us on our forums at osrgaming.org or even by calling us at 570-865-4210. This podcast is produced for entertainment purposes only. All other uses are prohibited. And remember, if your magic missile spell doesn't automatically hit, you're playing the wrong edition. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Roll for Initiative. Roll for Initiative.